a few things that's really incredible to hear early on a Thursday morning is uh, men praising and worshiping the Lord together. Thank you, Cliff, for praying. And for us to have fellowship together. It's, uh, it's not something I take for granted. I'm thankful to be with you. My name is Kendall Magania. I work with our college ministry here at Second. And if you have your Bible, uh, you can grab it. And this morning, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9. Some of you are going to quickly find Daniel. Others of you, like myself, it's going to take about three minutes. Uh, so it's a small prophet in the end of the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to be picking up our conversation about prayer. Prayer. The conversations about prayer. Conversations about prayer are where men's egos go to die, right? If, you, if, you've, got, if you've got a good friend, he wants to ask the question, hey, brother, how's your prayer life been? And immediately you feel smaller inside, or is that just me? No? Um, but we are. We're, we're, we're actually talking about prayer. We have been. This is our eighth uh, time this semester to be talking about prayer. And we have been saying that prayer is it's the place where the battle is won. Prayer. Where the battle is won. And that phrase uh, that we've been kind of unpacking for this semester on prayer, it, it really assumes a few things. The first thing it assumes um, is that there is a battle. Now, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I work with college students. They're not afraid to talk back to me. Let me ask you a simple question. Brothers, is there a battle? Yes, yes there is. There is a battle. We are in a battle. That's, there's no question about that. The second thing that this title assumes actually states really plainly is that prayer is the place where that battle is won. Do we believe that? Do, do we believe that this is this one way in which we view prayer? Some of you might be familiar with a, a quote by John Piper. He says, life is war. That's not all it is. But it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. A wartime walkie-talkie. In the passage that we have in front of us, Daniel chapter 9, hopefully we've gotten there by now, I think we have a model wartime prayer. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 19, if you'll read with me, Daniel 9, um, 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, that by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely... Seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong 
and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention And act, delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we bring this morning our whole self, and we thank you that you have given us a wartime prayer. Open our eyes and our hearts, unstop our ears, that we may listen, that we may see, and that we may love you even that much more, having beheld your son Jesus even in this passage. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There is no mistaking that for Daniel, life is war. The book of Daniel, which was named after Daniel and written by Daniel in the 6th century B.C., it records the events of his life and the visions that he had seen from the time of his exile in 605 B.C. until the third year of King Cyrus in 536 B.C. Daniel was exiled from Judah during the time of King Jehoiakim. 
And he lived in Babylonia, in the Babylonian court particularly. And then after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, we know that he also then served the Medo-Persian Empire that succeeded it. Now, a whole ton of printers throughout the world have been broken, printing off Sunday school coloring books of the, of the, the different stories in Daniel 1 through 6, right? If you were, uh, you've heard of the lion's den, and, and you've heard of the fiery furnace, and you've heard of Daniel's friends, and these first six chapters of the book of Daniel, what you have is... Uh, these, these stories, these episodes in the saga of his, his life as he's living in Babylon. In the last six chapters of this particular book, what we have is a series of visions that, that really are highly symbolic and, and are trying to communicate these spiritual and political realities that are taking place in Daniel's day. So throughout this book, Daniel... And his friends are in Babylon and they're pressured to give up their Jewish identity and they're serving the Babylonian empire under King Nebuchadnezzar with the fiery furnace in the lion's den. And throughout this book, there's no shortage of trial. There's no shortage of temptation. There's no shortage of pressure. He is in a battle. Which brings us to this prayer. While Daniel is in battle, there's an obvious and consistent theme in both his heart and his action. And that is that God is sovereign over all history. Whether it's the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, whether it's the Babylonian Empire, or the, or the Greek Empire, or the Roman Empire, for Daniel, here's what he believes at his very core. Amidst all of these earthly empires and all of these earthly kings, there is, for Daniel, a greater king, a sovereign king, a ruler over rulers, a lord over lords, a king over all of these kings. And it's to that king he prays this wartime prayer. Brothers, because God is the king over kings, especially in the midst of battle, we must go to him in time of war with wartime prayers. That's where the battle was won. This morning, I want us to see three aspects of wartime prayer. First, we'll see the approach. We'll see the approach of wartime prayer. Secondly, the content of wartime prayer. And then finally, the answer. The answer of wartime prayer. So let's look first at verses 1 through 3, where we see the approach of wartime prayer. So at the end of chapter 8, Daniel has this vision. He doesn't understand this vision. And, and Gabriel, who is one having the appearance of a man, comes to Daniel, unpacks this vision for him. As Daniel falls into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. Some of us need this kind of sleep, right? And Daniel, even after he wakes, he's sick for days. He doesn't understand this vision in one way. And in another way, it, 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 he's sick because he understands what this might mean. He's confused. He's appalled. He's sick. So what does Daniel do? Well, it says that he comes to God in prayer. In fact, he, he turns to the prophet Jeremiah, particularly chapter 25. 
And he goes back to Scripture. And we're going to see that theme throughout Daniel's life as he's praying. And I want you to notice briefly, right, in the midst of Daniel's confusion, his sickness, his fatigue about what's going on around him in the, the battle that's raging in Babylon, amidst all of this, he doesn't go to the Babylonian scrolls. He doesn't go to the Twitter feed. He doesn't go to the latest article in the local newspaper. No, he actually goes straight to Scripture, meditating on Jeremiah 25 concerning the desolation of Jerusalem. He finds that it was supposed to last for 70 years. One commentator I read said that since Daniel was ex- exiled in 605, and, and he wrote these words here in chapter 9 in, in a tumultuous year in 539 B.C., Daniel probably wondered if the time of punishment was over. It's supposed to last 70 years. He's asking the question in his heart, is this the time where our exile ends? Are the desolations done? Is the battle over? And this brings us to to verse 3 of chapter 9. Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord God. I want you to see Daniel's approach and particularly the direction that he turns. When Daniel sees the battle, when he sees earthly empires and earthly kings and the raging of war surrounding him, he turns toward the Lord. As some of you may know, uh, I mentioned earlier, I work with our college ministry, Campus Outreach. Our, our family spends four to five weeks each summer um, and with about 150 or so college students in Florida each summer. Now, one of my colleagues who works with our college ministry at a different campus has spent 10 years as a Navy SEAL before he came onto our staff team. Now, me uh, and my wife, along with him and his wife, took our kids. They have four children, and we have four children. We all went to the beach this last summer, went to swim in the ocean. Now, I want you to imagine something here for a second. Now, we actually did this, but I want you to imagine for a second, me and Josh, my friend, as well as our wives, are you know, cutting up on the beach here, and we've got you know, eight children, and, and we're kind of watching them, and it actually was, you know, a lot of waves when we went, and the the wind is blowing, and we're getting caught up in conversation. We're laughing, having a great time. And I look out there, and I see seven kids, not eight, but seven. And I, I want you to imagine this. I'm looking out there, I see seven children, and I realize there's one missing, and the one that's missing is my four year old daughter, Emery. I'm surveying, surveying the ocean, okay, and I'm looking, and I see kids' boogie boards, and I see, you know, wind and waves, and then I spot something. I see the life jacket that we put on my four-year-old Emery, and she's not in it. I want you to imagine that at that point, I, I turn to my six-year-old son, and I say, Mac, get Emery. As I, as I yell out to my six-year-old son, Mac, I hear a small scream, and I see an arm flail in the water about 100 yards away. It's my daughter, Emery. She's 100 yards away in the middle of the ocean as a four-year-old. And I yell, Mac, go save Emery. What's wrong with that? If I'm wise in that moment, 
I go to the one guy on the beach that has been uniquely designed. In fact, trained like very few others in the entire world, has spent a decade on the front lines of battle. And I say, Josh, please go get Emery. Brothers, in our time of war, in our time of battle, I want you to see where Daniel turns. He turns his face to the Lord. And how does he turn? He turns desperately. He cries out to the Lord with pleas. Look again with me at verse 3. I sought God by prayer and by pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In the battle, Daniel turns his face to God, this covenant-keeping God, the one who's made promises to Daniel, the one who's made promises to never leave nor forsake him, the one who's promised to come quickly when we turn our face to seek him after we have rebelled. But he's not only the covenant-keeping God who's made promises to us, he's also the Lord over lords. On that beach that day, there's one man who can do more than others. In this case, there is one God. And Daniel calls upon his name. And he comes desperate. In Mark chapter 10, we find a piercing story about a desperate man who cries out to Jesus as Jesus was traveling on the road to Jericho. This man, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, is sitting by the roadside when he just hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And you know this prayer. As Jesus is coming, the scriptures say he begins to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I'm no stranger to desperation in my household. Here's the words I usually hear. Dad! Dad! He's stuck! You know? Dad, she needs you right now! Dad! You know? Right now! Come! Brothers, when it hits the fan, when your marriage is rocky, when your work is tumultuous, when your soul is dry, when your kids are straying, when your wife is scared, when our city is in an uproar, do we cry out, Dad? When the battle rages, we must turn our face to the Lord in desperation. This must be our approach. Now in verses 4 through 15, which make up the largest portion of the text that we have in front of us, we not only see the approach that Daniel makes to God in prayer, in this wartime prayer, but we see the content of his prayer. And the first thing we find, all out, out of the gate, the very first thing that Daniel does is confess. Wartime praying is full of confession. Oh Lord, my covenantal God, the great and awesome God, Daniel says, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. I want you to see first that what drives the content of Daniel's actual prayer of confession is contrast. Daniel comes to God in confession because of this incredible contrast. You see, Daniel, knowing the greatness and the awesomeness of God, comes to him in confession because he realizes 
that the great contrast between the character of God and His perfection, His holiness, in this case His covenant love and His righteousness and His own sinfulness drives confession. When He beholds God, in verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 14, the Lord is righteous in all of the works that He's done. Or even in verse 16, when He references God's holiness. I've mentioned to some of you before, that the pinnacle of my, the pinnacle moment of my college football career was in 2007. Uh, my team played Arkansas, uh, which featured the number five team in the country, led by Darren McFadden, followed by Felix Jones, and finally, just Peyton Hillis. Arguably one of the best running back tandems in the history of football, and I got the Distinct privilege of playing them. Um, I was heavily recruited, actually, by Arkansas in high school. I had a lot of dating conversations with some of their position coaches. I was a quarterback then. And they, they actually ended up offering uh, two of my good friends that were in the same Dallas Metroplex area who were, who were now on this team. So my sophomore year in college, I'm now playing defensive back, not quarterback. We play Arkansas, who... Their, their coaches didn't pick me. Let's just say coming into this game, I felt like I had something I wanted to prove, right? On the very first play of the game, Darren McFadden goes 65 yards for a touchdown. The very first play of the game. And let's just say, let's just say, because he actually did, he ran right by me. I mean, right by me. And it took one play, just one, for me to... To, to conclude, these guys are on another level than me. They're on a totally different level than I am. It was that contrast that led me to this confession. These guys are on a different level. And I realized that so deeply in myself that I, even I, said, man, I'm on the right team here. And it wasn't going the right direction, I can promise you that. In this passage, we find a very thorough confession, verses four or 5 through 15. While God is holy and God is righteous and God is a covenant-keeping God, what we find from Daniel is that he's confessing quite the opposite about himself and his people. In verses 5 and 9, he says, We have sinned and we've done wrongly and acted wickedly and we've rebelled and we've turned aside. In verse 6, we've not listened. To you, Lord, belongs righteousness, in verse 7 and 8, but to us, open shame. We've not obeyed, verse 10 and 14. We've transgressed. We've refused to obey your voice. We've not asked for your favor. We've not turned from our sin, verse 13. In verse 15, we've sinned. We've done wickedly. For Daniel, confession was the expression of his understanding about God's holiness and his sin. So, so then it might be said that confession is not natural for men who believe God to be small. It's not natural for, for men who believe God to be small. Or the other way, confession is not natural for men who believe themselves to be big. Confession was natural for Daniel. Because he did in fact know God is the king and we have sinned against him. Isaiah said, woe is me. 
I am unclean. My eyes have seen the Lord. In Luke chapter 5, Peter said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When we behold the glory of God and come face to face with his perfection and realize that he's on a whole nother level, brothers, we cry out with honest confession. Our wartime prayer begins with confession. But I want you to see as well that that confession doesn't, doesn't just include us personally. See the scope of Daniel's confession. It goes beyond himself. It's corporate. It's a corporate confession. Verses 5 and 6 and 11 and 13 and 14 and 15, he uses the word we. And, and then in 7 and 10 and 12 and 13 and 14, he says us. So as he brings this prayer to God, he's speaking on behalf of his people and particularly with us as men. I want you to see how Daniel's confession is weighted towards Israel's leaders. Verse 7, the men of Judah. To our kings, our princes, our fathers. Verse 8. Now Daniel includes all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, and he effectively prays, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's certainly weight toward the men and toward the leaders. In a, in, a, in a war, a commander assumes responsibility for those in his care. And for us as men, as God's men, wartime prayer of confession includes us and those that we care for, those that we lead. We see this in Nehemiah in chapter 1. The wall is broken down and Nehemiah goes to God and, and he, he prays corporate prayer of confession. And we see our Savior Jesus who says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who's praying on behalf of all of these people as men and as spiritual leaders, as intercessors, as wartime prayer. As we pursue that, that means we take seriously this promise that we have in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Brothers, let's pray for our homes, our spouses, our city, our nation, for the bride of Christ. Let us humble ourselves and bring to God honest prayers of confession. Some of you may be familiar with what's going on at Asbury College uh, in Kentucky, along with some other universities throughout the city or the country, uh, Lee University and Cedarville University, even Samford University. The college ministry that I work for, Campus Outreach, is actually at Samford University. And this last weekend, <clears throat> I had the privilege to spend time with one of our uh, senior leaders in Campus Outreach. Uh, who had been at Samford this last weekend. And he, along with about five other uh, older leaders within our college ministry, they, they went to Samford and they, they participated in what was going on there at the chapel. And so I was asking him, uh, Ben, you know, tell me a little bit about like, what, what was that like? 
And he said, you know, it wasn't that special in one way. Uh, we were praising the Lord with, you know, song. And people were reading uh, passages of scripture. And, and students were sharing testimony of the work of God in their life. In one way, it was really normal. But in one way, it was really special. Tell me more about that. He said, well, at the end of the day, what I was encouraged most about was that at the very center of this time was Jesus and his word. Scripture. In verses 11 and 13 and 15, what we find about Daniel's prayer is that there's no question he has been meditating on God's word. The content of prayer for Daniel was confession. But secondly, it was scripture. I mean, or we could even say it was a covenantal prayer. It was uh, laden with Bible verses after Bible verses after Bible verses. All Israel has transgressed your law, he says. As it is written in the law of Moses, Daniel was a man who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He did not stand in the way of sinners. He did not sit in the seat of scoffers. He was a man who meditated on the law of the Lord, and that showed up in his prayer life. Showed up in the moments where it mattered most. Take, for instance, chapter 1 in the book of Daniel. You guys remember Daniel has, he and his friends um, are what I would like to affectionately call being hazed. Now, I work with college students, okay? And so what they've done essentially is tried to take these young Jewish boys and they're giving them a different name and dressing them in different clothing and giving them a different diet. And they're essentially indoctrinating them under this Babylonian worldview. But, but Daniel, he doesn't succumb to that. He resolved that he would not defile himself. He would walk in the ways of Yahweh he would hold fast to the Torah. In the time of battle, in the time of his battle cry, the content of Daniel's prayer was utterly scriptural. It was Bible. And I just love, I love to hear men and women, and especially young children, pray scripture. It's so powerful. Do you know these kind of people? You know these kind of people, whenever they pray, you just think, wow, your life your mind, your heart has been saturated and soaked in the Word of God. The, the guy, I've, I've referenced him before, who led me to faith in Christ as my team chaplain in college. I'd never prayed out loud before I became a Christian. And so I didn't really have a model for prayer, honestly. Um, and, and he was the first one that really taught me how to pray. And every time, and I kid you not, I could testify. I could bring up five other guys with me and say, didn't he do this? And they'd say, yeah, he actually did. Every time he'd pray with us, whether it was in a discipleship group or on the road to the campus or, you know, even in our locker room as a football player, he always quoted a passage of Scripture as he, begued, as he started his prayer. Always. And I just thought at first, I was like, man, this guy is so smart. Like, how does he know all these things, you know? And then I began to, to, to see, like, well, this is how Christians pray. I think herein we find a way to pray. If you're anything like me, even today, I admit, I confess, I have what I like to call a cul-de-sac prayer life. You know, kind of say the same things over and over and, you know, kind of repeat the same phrases and, you know, God help me. You know, have you ever prayed for, you know, 
Have you ever prayed for someone and be like, God, I, I thank you for this food? I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I, I was, you know, just kind of these rote, circular, cul-de-sac prayers. And then I just get distracted. I just, I just, I, I'm praying and then I'm like, man, Alabama football really is not very good. You know, I just, it's, it's amazing, you know, or how I shanked that, I shanked that second shot on, on, on three yesterday, didn't I? You know, so we get lost in these prayers, right? And I think what we have here is actually a way for praying. So praying scripture and even particularly praying the gospel. We see this in verse 15. Lord, you're the one who brought us out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Praying scripture and praying the gospel must be a significant, practical way and part of our wartime praying. So this is week eight, I think, of our spring Amen, amen uh, series. Week eight. And I really hope, I hope it's been edifying and encouraging and it's built you up and it's, it's really just encourage you to be a man of prayer this semester. But I, I want to take an opportunity really quickly to reference uh, a, a resource that you should have on your tables. And I see, see it on your tables. <clears throat> it's really simple. I think it just would be a tragedy if we're studying prayer for eight weeks and we don't have something that we might actually use for prayer. Uh, there's dozens, hundreds of great ways to pray, but I just want to commend praying the Psalms to you. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, the Psalms are given to us in the end that we may pray in the name of Jesus. And what I have in front of you as a resource, if you don't have something that you're using, is a way uh, to pray the Psalms monthly. And that may be overwhelming for you. That's okay. Uh, you can start over next month. That's what the, these are the kind of plans I like. Um, but that's a way for you to pray the Psalms specifically. Um, Shout out to my friend Justin who helped me with that resource. Praying the Psalms is kind of a ball on the tee way to, to practice praying scripture and praying the gospel. And so I, I commend that resource to you. Daniel's wartime prayer is filled with confession. It's filled with scripture. It's filled with the gospel. But I want you to see verses 16 through 18 with me because here we find the petition within Daniel's content of prayer. The petition. Daniel is praying for mercy. He's praying for mercy. He's acknowledging what they deserve for their rebellion. He's admitting that they might not taste, uh, that they deserve the, the anger and wrath of God, but he's praying for mercy that they would not receive it. Now, I thank God that my coaches pulled me out of that Arkansas game at halftime. I thank God. Uh, because I never got to see Peyton Hillis carry the football. Now, I did see Darren McFadden, and I did uh, too close. And I did see, but not close enough, apparently. Uh, I did see Felix Jones up, up close and personal. But I never had to touch uh, Peyton Hillis. I just want you to imagine, okay, it's the second quarter, or it's the third quarter, second half. And here I am. I'm on the sideline. We're only getting beat by 52 points by that point. Only getting beat by 52. I have a lot of different things that I could pray. God, would you help us sneak 14 players out there? Uh, God, I love my friend Mitch Mustaine who got that scholarship ahead of me, but would you mind just letting him drop that ball a few times? God, if they don't stop doing this woo pig suey thing, I'm just going to please, right? Lots of things to pray for but maybe one that might cover the whole gamut, right? The one that might be the most helpful. God, please give us mercy, 
Like, we just need some mercy here. Isn't there a thing that they made called the mercy rule, you know? Uh, why don't we get that? I guess it's homecoming. They really love beating up on us. The point here is this, and I don't mean to uh, minimize the real situation and trial that Daniel was walking through, but here's the reality. Daniel could have prayed for thousands of things. He could have asked for thousands of things. God, take us home. God, God bring an army to crush Babylon. Father, raise up another king to guide your people out of captivity, out of exile. Daniel prayed for mercy. I heard the story of a sarcastic dad. His son at 15, every other day would say, Dad, can I have a car for my 16th birthday? Hey, Dad, that car, right? You saw my grades on this last... Hey, Dad, how about that car? 16th birthday rolls around, and Dad walks his son outside, and there sits a brand-new red Mustang. And the son says, Dad, you gave me the car. He said, I sure did. Dad walks back in the house. Son runs after him and says, Dad, where are the keys? He said, you never asked me for the keys. The point is this, in our prayer, in our wartime praying, while we certainly want to ask God for all of our needs, our daily bread, let us not leave out that which is most important, our prayer for mercy. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And when Daniel came to God, he begged God for mercy. In Luke 18, we find a parable, a story about two men who come to God in prayer. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. God, I thank you. I'm not like these other men, extortioners, adulterers, even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other four. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What we find in Daniel is a humble petition. It's bold, but a prayer of mercy falls from the lips of humble men. So mercy, we pray, we beg God, be merciful. But also he asks God in verse 18 and petitions God on the basis of his grace. He begs God on the basis of his grace. Look with me at verse 18. He says, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That is grace. On the basis of grace, Daniel makes his prayer. Our college ministry does a summer training project where we take hundreds of students down to Orlando, Florida. We get them jobs at SeaWorld and Universal Studios. And in the evenings, we do discipleship training Bible study, evangelism, and other things. 
I led my first project like this in Orlando in 2016. On the night of my fifth anniversary, my wife and I had just sat down to the finest meal that we had ever had in five years. I kid you not, we sit down at Texas Day Brazil, okay? Now you know how Texas, maybe some of you are aware of how Texas Day Brazil works, but it's Brazilian. I don't know even what that means. All I know is you can keep going back and it's amazing. We sit down, and my phone on my, right, on my right side starts buzzing. It's one of my staff guys. Now, by five years in, I'm a smart husband. You put that one back in your pocket, right? Fifth year anniversary, it's one of my staff. I'm not going to answer that. Of course not. But in my other pocket, I had taken my wife's phone, and it starts buzzing as well. And I, I pick it up. It's our, it's our babysitter. And in the background, I hear fire alarms. Eh. And, and they're on the fourth floor. What should I do with the kids? So I coach her up. I'm talking to her how to get the kids out down the stairwell and all the rest. This staff guy keeps blowing me up. He's calling me, calling me, calling me. I finally grab it after I, I'm done talking with the babysitter. I said, Greg, what's going on? He said, man, you're not going to believe it. One of our students kicked a soccer ball into a fire hydrant or into a, into a, a, uh, a sprinkler head, and there's a fire hydrant on floor three. The whole place is flooding. Now, God bless Ron Hickman, okay? But all I know is there was millions of dollars of damage that took place on floors three and two and one. It wasn't a good situation. Not at all. Now, I led the next summer project. And... What won't surprise you <clears throat> is that next year we were looking for a different hotel. <laughs> what will surprise you is that I got a phone call from the marketing director from that previous hotel. His name is Akbar. Hey, Kendall, I got a new hotel from you, for you. I said, wait a second, what? Are you, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> like, he's like, I got a new hotel for you. Speeding up the story a bit, we flooded that hotel as well. I am so thankful. I praise God to announce to you men this morning. In the summer of 2023, we are at our third hotel with my friend Akbar. <laughs> He's let us come back. Now, I don't know how you want to quantify that, but I know this. That is grace. And on the basis of that grace, my friend Akbar and I have about a nine or ten year relationship that I continue to ask him things for today. That is exactly how Daniel comes to God on the basis of his grace. God, it's not because we deserve your mercy. We have not earned it. I come to you pleading because of your promise, because of your covenant faithfulness, because of your commitment to your people. This is why I come to you. This is how I come to you. So this is the content of Daniel's prayer. Confession, scripture, and petition. Which brings us to the last section of this passage. The answer. In verse 19, Daniel prays, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Pay attention, act, delay not. 
I want to suggest to you that God hears this prayer. And I want to suggest to you that God answered this prayer. In chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, we find that Daniel has a vision. He sees with the clouds of heaven one like the Son of Man who came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to this Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and peoples and nations and language would serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion which should not pass away and his kingdom one that would never be destroyed. What was God's answer to Daniel's prayer? It's the Son of Man. The Son of Man who is king over kings. The Son of Man who, whose dominion stretches over every generation in all of time. The Son of Man whose reign is over every square inch of all that he's made, every people and every nation and every language and every tongue, over all of history, will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart in this one Son of Man. Of all the phrases that Jesus uses in the New Testament to identify himself with, his favorite was the Son of Man. In Matthew chapter 9, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. In Matthew chapter 16, the Son of Man has a kingdom. In Matthew chapter 17, the Son of Man predicted his own death at the hands of his enemies. In Matthew chapter 20, we learn that the Son of Man, he did not have his life taken from him. No, he gave up his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew 24, while we know that the Son of Man died, in Matthew 24, we know that the Son of Man will one day come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Brothers, the answer to Daniel's confession, the answer to Daniel's petition and his pleas when he prays, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive O oh Lord, pay attention. O oh Lord, act. Delay not for your name's sake because your city and your people are called by your name. That answer to that prayer was heard and God did answer it. He said, I will exalt my name by sending my very own son to be the answer to this prayer. One who has never sinned or rebelled. One who never broke covenant one who did not earn the wrath and the anger of God, but one who did endure it. The Son of Man who drank the full cup of God's wrath that Daniel and Israel and even you and I deserve. And he won for us mercy. And he gives to us grace. Praise be to God for the Son of Man. Brothers, we're in a war. But we know the one who is the victor. We know that prayer is where the battle is won. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for and praise you for this passage of Scripture which teaches us about prayer. And we thank you that you've answered this prayer and we pray once more, O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. 
pay attention, act, delay not. Bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and do it not because we deserve it, but by your grace and do it not for our glory, but for your name. And we make this prayer in the powerful and strong name of Jesus, the Son of Man, who is coming again. In Christ's name we pray, amen.